Well, we're, we're going to go... We're going to go to Psalms 122 today, and we're continuing what we call the Psalms of Ascent, the Summer of Psalms here at Bethany. And as we said last week, the Psalms of Ascent were 15 Psalms that the people of Israel, when they would go to the, the three different feasts that they would have every year, uh, they, would, they would sing these songs as they would make the climb up to, up to Jerusalem and up to Mount Zion. Mount Zion was the highest point in the region. And they would sing these songs. And there were also, interestingly enough, there were 15 steps up to the temple. And some people believe that they would think of these or recite some of these as they would go up the steps. We don't really know. Uh, but, but today I want to specifically zero on Psalms 122, verse 1. But we're going to read the whole chapter. But really what this message today is about cultivating friendships that call you to God. Cultivating friendships that, that call you to God. Now, this is, this is not an easy thing to do. This does not happen automatically. I wish it did. I wish it happened just automatically that you just came to church and immediately you got connected with friends who called you to God. Uh, and we want to get better at it. We want to get better at Bethany Community Church. The healthier a church gets, the more, it's, the more it becomes a healthy culture that calls people higher, that calls people to raise their aim. That calls people to God. And uh, if you don't have that, uh, you can have some great times and you can have great fun. And that's important, absolutely important. And you can, have, you can, you can find people that you share interest with, that you may uh, uh, go to musical concerts with, or you may play sports with, and, or you may share some other interest with. And that's, that's great. That's awesome. That's part of what a church exists for. So you can find people that you can enjoy hanging with. But there's a higher purpose. There's a higher purpose for friendships. There's a higher purpose for relationships. And that is finding relationships. And I want to read a verse, before I read my text, uh, I want to read a verse that's not in the notes, it's not in the app, and it's not going to be, I don't think, projected. And it just came to me this morning, and I thought, I've got to read this. I couldn't really think of where to fit it in, so I'm just going to read it in the beginning. And it can kind of be a backdrop of this message, and maybe we'll allude to it again. And Psalms 101 says, I will sing of your love and justice, Lord. And this is written by, also by King David. I will praise you with songs. I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? Question mark. I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. And I want you to th- notice how King David really makes relationships of utmost importance. How he makes his companions of, uh, uh, of the highest uh, priority in his life. I, I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. I will reject perverse ideas and stay away from every evil. I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. I will not endure conceit and pride. I will search for faithful people. To be my companions. Only those who are above reproach will will be allowed to serve me. I will not allow deceivers to serve in my house, and liars will not stay in my presence. My task, my daily task, will be to ferret out the wicked and free the city of the Lord from their grip. So I just wanted to read that to you to let you know uh, this is not magical, this is work. There's work involved in cultivating friendships that not only you would enjoy and, and, and make life more pleasurable for you, but also friendships that call you to God. 
Now let's read Psalms 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. I was glad when they said unto me, they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together where the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord to the testimony of Israel. Circle the word tribes. The tribes of the Lord to the, circle, to, to the testimony of Israel. To give thanks to the name of the Lord, for the thrones are set there for judgment. The thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, Peace be within, because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek you. I'm sure you've all had times in your life, I certainly hope you have, when you have had an event or a situation where you said, it doesn't get any better than this. My guess is when you said that or you thought that, you were someplace doing something you really wanted to do. And, but not only that, you were with some people that you really wanted to be with. There, there, there's something special about that. There, there's those moments of grandeur or synergy or awe or moments that are comical and funny uh, moments where there's music or there's laughter. And what makes it work, though, is having friends or family that are with you to enjoy it. There's something about having your joy with your persons, with your people. It's, that's unparalleled in human experience. You know, you ever experience something amazing as I have and traveling so many years by myself? Uh, ever experienced something ma- amazing and there was nobody there to enjoy it with you. F- funny moments, comical moments, moments of grandeur, beautiful sight. Uh, go to some event by yourself and really enjoy it. I remember when I was, uh, I was about 22 years old and I got an opportunity to be a chaplain on a Caribbean cruise. So for 14 days, I was the chaplain on this huge boat. And I, it was during Easter. I remember it was during Easter because I, I preached a Good Friday service and an Easter service. And, uh, but you know, that I, was, I, was, I had no one on that boat to... I, I didn't have a friend with me. I didn't have... You know, I have a family. I wasn't married yet. I didn't have a family or friend friend with me. It just wasn't as great as it would have been had I had someone to enjoy it. And you know, of course, what today, what we do when you experience something truly amazing or wonderful, the first thing you do is you, you put something on Instagram or Facebook because things just aren't as fun when you don't share it with anybody. You know, that's the bad thing about going and having sinful pleasure. And you go off and have sinful pleasure, and you can't tell anybody. <laughs> it's like, well, it was great, but I can't, I can't, I got to keep this a secret. King David and the nation of Israel felt their highest joy was to go to the house of the Lord. And the completion of their joy was this group of friends. And that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about how to cultivate a life of joy around God and friends who find God and fascinating and fulfilling as you do. I want to ask the question today. Who's calling you to God? 
Our text said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Who's your they? Who calls you out of your house to go to the physical house of God, but more importantly, to become a part of something that is a part of the kingdom of God? Can there be any doubt that God and His Word prioritizes this? So the first question I want to ask you today is, if you have those people that are calling you to God, are they making you glad? Are you glad when people call you to the kingdom of God? Are you glad when people call you to the presence of God? Are you glad when people call you to the character of God? When they call you to the things of God? When they call you to the ways of God? Are you glad? Does it make you glad? Now, now, can there be any doubt that God in His Word prioritizes? I'll say it this way. He prioritizes plurality. He prioritizes community. He prioritizes friendship. I was glad when they said unto me, let us. Just think of, think of the Lord's Prayer. How does it word? It's not, it's not a linguistic coincidence that it says things like, our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. This is no mere coincidence. While the responsibility of the individual is also abundantly clear, we read Matthew 6.13, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, personal responsibility is very clear. Make no mistake about it. The scripture teaches from the beginning in Genesis 2.18 where it says, it is not good for man to be alone. All the way to Revelations 2.13 and bookends in the story of God where John the Revelator writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. Notice the plurality of language all through the scripture. Sometimes if you want to do a great study, take the book of Ephesians and circle every time it says we. Every time it says one another. You will see that the call to serve God and the call to live a life of God is a community call. It's a group deal. It's a call to friends to go together. So all the way from Genesis to Revelation, we see this so, so clearly. Now the dwelling of God is with men. Let me go back to Revelation 23, so where I was reading a second ago. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. It's really unusual and abnormal to be a lonely worshiper. Tim Keller says this in his book, The Reason for God. And a great book. Everyone should read that book. And he, he really teaches very beautifully in that book how one of the, one of the major things that calls us to salvation is, is social, the social aspect of our lives. We, we come to God. I, I dare say that most people come to God, come to their initial relationship with Jesus Christ because they met friends and those friends were interested in God and they were interested in whatever their friends were interested in. But here's what Keller says. We believe the world was made by a God, and I notice this wording very carefully, 
by a God who is a community. What do you mean by that? What does he mean, God is a community? Well, have you ever heard of the Trinity? The Father, God is not even God by himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's an amazing and important thing. That's not just a doctrine of the church. That is a way of being for you and me to understand that we're called to have a they and an us. We're all called to have a, a they who calls us out of, our, out of our selfishness and out of our isolation into a life within the kingdom of God. Let me continue with Keller's quote. We believe the world was made by a God who is a community of persons who have loved each other for all eternity, who were made for mutually self-giving, other-directed love. Self-centeredness destroys the fabric of what God has made. Mike Fleshman was a pastor, is a pastor of Inland Hills Community Church in Oceanside, California, and he recently wrote a great article in response to a survey that he did to find out how outsiders come to faith. And um, in it, he made this following observation. He said, statistically, a pastor or youth leader is more likely to nudge someone from a Christian home toward a decision. Uh, let me put the emphasis in the right place there. Statistically, a pastor or youth leader is more likely to nudge someone from a Christian home toward a decision than to help an unchurched person find faith. What made the real difference with the unchurched were personal relationships. The majority who find Christ look back and say it was a friend who influenced them toward faith. In my interviews over and over again, people shared with someone in relationship with them. This friendship may have been for a lifetime or just a season, but it was the right person at the right time that helped bring them to faith. Notice it in our text. David's joy in going to the house of God is sparked by the suggestion of a group of enthusiastic friends. Do you have a relationship? Or do you have relationships that look to God and look at you and say, let's go? Do you have that? May, may I suggest that your decision to follow Christ must include your decision to cultivate friendships that constantly draw you to Christ. And as I said in the beginning of the message, it's not easy. It doesn't happen automatically. I want to, today, I want you to start evaluating your key relationships with questions like, are you challenging me to move from selfish isolation to a community, to community in God? From low character to God's character. I talked to someone yesterday who feels kind of stuck in their life. And they said, well, I go to this place. We're there, believers, and nobody speaks to me. And I said to them, would you just forget about that? You go and speak to them. You go and be a friend to them. You go and take the initiative, and you cultivate relationships with them. See, that's what we do. When, when we really care about each other, we speak into one another's lives. We speak the truth. We speak truth that brings people to remember Zion is the highest point we speak truth that brings people to a higher level in their life that's what we do so does it make you glad when people speak to you like that does it make you glad when somebody cares about your spiritual being 
Does it make you glad when someone invites you to pursue God? What, does it make you glad when someone is chasing God and they say, you, would you come and chase God with me? Does it make you glad? Does it excite you? We, we need that. We, we need to be a place where there are spiritual conversations. We, we need to be a place where, where I, you know, I'm all for uh, discipleship programs. I think they're good and they're necessary. In fact, we're, we're working. We're getting ready to film two different, two different uh, uh, sets of videos that will constitute, will create two classes. One's called Next Steps and one's called First Steps. And so we're, we're all for programmatic things. Programmatic things are necessary and they're important. But I'm convinced that programs will never, ever accomplish what God wants to accomplish in our lives. I'm convinced that we'll never have en- enough right programs. We'll never have enough organized groups. And we need to do that, by the way. We're, we're called to that. We must do that. But what, what will really cause a church to rise up and be great is when all of us rise up and say, a program or not, class or not, organized group or not, I'm going to become someone who calls people out. I'm going to be someone who says, come let us go to the house of the Lord. I'm going to become someone who's calling people to a higher way of being and a higher way of living. I'm going to be someone who calls people to a life in the Spirit. There's somebody that you have way more influence with than I do. Every one of you. I don't care how small influence you think you have. There's somebody that you have more influence with than I do. And somebody whose life you can make a difference in their life. So, that brings us to the second question. Do you value what they're doing for you? Are they challenging you to go to a higher place? Do you value it? Obviously, David sitting in his house that day, or in his tent, wherever, or he may have been in the palace, I don't know, but when he wrote that psalm, obviously when he wrote that psalm, he wasn't, he wasn't, maybe he wasn't thinking about going to the house of God. Maybe he wasn't thinking about going to Jerusalem. Maybe he'd forgotten that it was time for the Feast of Tabernacles or the Passover. Maybe he'd gotten busy with doing, being, being the king. Maybe he'd gotten busy with his, his duties and his, the activities of his life. But needed someone to remind him. How many of you need someone to remind you sometimes? You need someone to remind you. That the most important thing in life is not what you're doing. The most important thing in life is not what you're doing, but what God is doing. And someone needs to remind you to leave the important thing in your life to go pursue the most important thing in your life. Rule number three in 12 rules for life says make friends with people who want the best for you. I love that. That's a great rule. There's no higher aim for your life than to aim it toward the establishment of the eternal kingdom of God. I said there's no higher aim in your life than to aim it toward the establishment of the eternal, of, of the eternal kingdom of God. That's what our text is ultimately about. Look at verse, verse, verse 5. For the thrones are set there for judgment. The thrones of the house of David. See, this, this pursuit of God that we're doing together is in recognition that, that there's something we're connected to that's eternal. We're connected to something that's eternal. And what that eternal thing is, is we're connected and pursuing a God who's going to bring justice on the earth. God who's going to bring justice 
to, to the broken and justice to the needy, justice to the needy and justice to the poor and justice to all of us. A God who's going to take proper and holy vengeance on that which is evil and that which is hurtful and that which is causing pain. And so what we're being invited to is not a mere religious observance and not a, not a mere formality, not just go, going to a service or a mass. We're being invited to something far more powerful than that. We're being invited to be a part of the, of the eternal kingdom of God. <laughs> I knew that person back there who's excited would finally have influence. <laughs> Refine your values. See, I, I want to tell you two things about cultivating these type of friendships. One is refine your values before you define your friends. Decide what you want in life before you, before you try to figure out who's going to walk with you and who's going to travel with you. A lot of us get this backward. We go find people that, you know, oh, he's a nice guy, she's a nice lady. Well, how do you really know? How do you really know? I, mean, I hear that all the time. That somebody just met somebody and they go, they're so nice. How do you know? Maybe they're, they're, they're a molester or something. You don't know. Maybe they don't pay their bills. Do you, have you, do you know if they pay their bills? Do, do, you know if they, do you know if they run around in their spouse? I mean, do you really know? Now, what you mean is you, you experienced the surface of their personality and they, they smiled. That, that, that doesn't make them a nice person. C.S. Lewis says something very powerful. And I, I wonder, it's a, kind of a long quote, but I wanted, I'm, going to use, I'm going to give you a couple of when, when, whenever, whenever you need uh, material for a sermon, you just go read C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, in, in the book, one of my favorite books that C.S. Lewis wrote was The Four Loves. What a great book. And, and maybe if you don't read C.S. Lewis, you think, oh, it's too heavy. But that's a, that's a book you can easily digest. And, you can read it in a short period of time. And he, he talks about friendship, and here's what he said. This is really, I think it's very powerful. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth? Would, would be, I see nothing. I don't care about the truth. I only want a friend. He says, no friendship can arise. Though affection, of course, may, he says. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must be about something. Even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. And those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. So decide... Where you want to go with your life. And then choose your team. I mean, if, if you have a, a gazillion dollars and you want to, you want, it's, it's in your heart to own a sports team, you're going to decide what kind of team you want to have before you start recruiting players. You might recruit baseball players for a football team. You know, you might recruit basketball players for a soccer team. And they're just too far from the ground, those guys. You know, it's not going to work. Choose your team based on where you're going. 
not just on whether or not you like their personality. Or they have a lot of toys that you get to play with. Acknowledge. The second thing about cultivating friendships, acknowledge who God has chosen to be your friends. Acknowledge. Ask God, have you, who are you bringing into my life? And start being sensitive to that. C.S. Lewis also said, in friendship we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are strictly speaking no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Can truly say to every group of Christian friends, You have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. I think that's powerful. And I think we've not respected that. I see the constant migration of people from one church to the next. And I know it's the right thing to do sometimes to leave one church and go to another. I, I acknowledge that. I understand that. And the reasons are varied in many. I do understand that. But be, walk softly in that area of your life. Let me just urge you, walk softly before you abandon the people that God may have put you with. Don't run away every time there's a dry season. Every time the pastor goes through a season when he doesn't preach very well, or every, anytime every time he goes through a season where maybe you're not seeing what you want to see, or the music's not to your liking, or all these different reasons that people get unhappy in a church, be very careful and be very discerning and start treating people like they're sacred. I said, start treating people like they're sacred and start treating relationships like they're divinely. Chosen by God. I mean that with all my heart. I hope if I didn't, you don't get anything else out of the message. I hope you get that today. That you'll start treating relationships as sacred. Start treating them as a, a calling from God. Number three. And finally, in the final question. I want to ask you today. That will help us to cultivate relationships. Is are you grasping the meaning and power of the house of God? I'm talking about the attraction and power of the house of God. Let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, if, if, if the house of the Lord is just a building, then you don't understand the house of the Lord. If it's heaven, that's, that's what it, it is to a lot of people, especially in the church I grew up in. We talked about going home. That meant you were going, going to die or be caught up in the rapture. But the word comes from the Greek word ekklesia, and it means called out ones. It's people that God is calling out of the world system. Now, that doesn't mean we become aliens to the world or we hate the world. It doesn't mean that we turn our back on everything that's in the world. It doesn't mean we don't participate in the world system. But we, we, it means we begin to have a dual citizenship. He's inviting us ahead of time to be a part of the coming system called the kingdom of God. That's what it means to be called to the house of God, in part. We will be citizens of it even before it comes to earth. 
Ephesians 2.19, so then we are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. You know the word religion, which has become kind of a bad word to some people, but it shouldn't be. We need to, we need to recover and, and once again beautify the word religion. Because the word religion actually comes from the same root word as the word ligament. Ligio. Ligio is ligament. Now we all know what ligaments do. Ligaments hold our muscles together. Ligaments hold our muscles in place. Some of you torn a ligament and you know how painful that is and you know that you can't walk on that, walk on that leg that you tore a ligament in. It, it holds people together. So when, when, when God gives us pure religion, it means that we're held together with a group of people who follow Christ with us. And we follow Christ with them. Now, now, also, a, th- a thing about household is, is to understand household and what the house of God means. You have to understand what, what the Hebrew and, and the Greco-Roman world, how they thought about household. To them, a household was centered around a patriarch, a father. A household was centered around a father. And, and, and a, a father who had authority... And I know the idea of, of a father who has authority, and a father who's a judge, no matter how benevolent the judge is, it doesn't sound like a journey to joy, in our current, especially in our current culture. Uh, but that's because we're not thinking clearly. We're not thinking clearly. We're, we're not thinking clearly that to go to a father, and, it, and it's not a gender thing either, because the, the heavenly father, the Bible says, in the image of, of, of God created he them male and female. So when we have the heavenly father, we have the attributes of both genders represented. So this is not a gender thing. It's not a gender thing, but it's an authority thing. It's an authority thing that we're called to a place where when, when, when you say, let's go to the house of the Lord, you're calling me to a place where the Father is going to reveal the rules for life. The Father is going to reveal His plans for life. The Father is going to reveal what He wants us to do and not do. The Father is going to reveal what is going to work and make us prospered and blessed and what will leave us cursed and, and, and destroyed and, and make losers out of us. That's why I want to go to Father's house because what, what happens at Father's house, and this is, I wish I had time to explore this, but if we go through the Old Testament, what happens in Father's house is the blessing of the Father. What, 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 every, what every person wanted, in the Old Testament was the blessing of the Father. You see that in Jacob and Esau. You see it in the sons of Jacob. They all lined up to get the blessing of the Father. So we, we, we want to take one another's Father's house so the Father can, A, reveal what is blessing and what will be blessed. He can reveal to us the rules whereby we can flow in blessing and, and what is consistent with how the universe actually works properly. And secondly, we go to the Father and He gives us a spiritual blessing that's mystical that we cannot understand, but he imparts to us his own spirit. Think about it like this. If you are still turned off to the idea of going where there's authority, and, and we, we're, we, we, we must recover this father image of God in the church today. We, I believe the church, Big C, has lost its place regarding the father image of God. And it's a whole bunch of social reasons that I won't go into for that. But we've lost the Father image of God. And we must recover the Father image of God. 
And part of it's our aversion to rules. Our, our idea that limitations and rules are bondage and are, are the robbers of blessing when it's just the opposite. For instance, think I started this message talking about those events that you say doesn't get any better than this. And probably some of those events were either a, a musical concert or a sporting event or maybe even a church service. Let me tell you what characterized that event there were rules and there was authority go to a great sporting event how many have been to a great a great baseball game that you just remembered man it was just memorable my little my my dad took me to see the houston astros when i was eight years old and i saw jimmy win hit three home runs in one night never forget that i'll never forget being a super bowl 49 watching malcolm butler save the game never forget that but you know, in both of those events, there were, there were guys with white striped shirts running all over the place, telling people when they were out of bounds, telling people when they were breaking the rules, imposing penalties. If it got bad enough, they would even kick people out of the game. Even that great musical concert that you went to, there was authority. There was someone, there was security there. There was somebody keeping people out who didn't buy a ticket because that would have ruined it for you if everybody got in without a ticket. There wouldn't be anybody to pay the people on the stage who performed for you and you enjoyed so much if people got in without a ticket. So somebody controlled that. Somebody controlled what time it began, what time it was over. There's security uh, all over the place, kicking people out who were getting drunk and rowdy. And that event was made possible and beautiful and great because of authority, because there was a, a father-like presence in the place that said, we will do this, we won't do this, and the blessings, the blessings flow within these confines. Within these boundaries, there will be blessing and, and joy and, and excitement, and you will be able to say, uh, it doesn't get any better than this. And so it is with the Father. We've got to once again quit thinking that the authority of the Father is a bad thing. We've got to quit thinking. David said, I delight in the law of the Lord. David said it constantly. You can read it all over the book of Psalms. I delight. And he wasn't talking about the law of Moses. He was talking about the law of the Lord. I delight in the law of the Lord. I delight in the authority of my heavenly Father because under His authority, there's the realm of blessing and there's a realm of peace and there's a realm of joy. And you need friends who will say to you, let's go enjoy the authority of God. Amen? I know you're going out. Some of you are not convinced. You say, oh, that's terrible. Just uh, rules, rules, rules. I can't deal with it. Well, you know, it's kind of like this. Keller makes this, uh, this great illustration um, in his book on prayer. And, he, and he, he says it's like this. He said, if you heard that you, you got some news, that you, someone had left you a sum of money, if you're like me, uh, you're probably thinking, oh, it was probably not very much, uh, you know, it's probably $1,000 or something like that. So, you know, you know they have this uh, find money, find money, massmoney.com or something like that. And somebody says, hey, there's some money in there for you. Well, immediately I'm thinking it's $100. Because I know, I mean, I know that I haven't gone through a lot of money in my life. So, so just imagine that you've heard you had some money, but you just didn't believe it was very much. So you'd ignored it. And maybe a few years went by and you ignored it. And you kept living your little pathetic, uh, scraping by life, 
because you didn't even think about this money that somebody said you had. And finally, somebody, maybe your spouse got in your case. You need to go check on that money. You need to go check on it. You need to find it. So you, you do, and you find out it's a fortune. It's millions of dollars. And you've been living pathetically, and you've been barely paying your bills, and you've been living in a house that you didn't really want to live in and working a job you didn't care about. And all the time, all the time, you had millions of dollars You just had to go get it. And that's the way God is. That's the way Father's house is. You can stay and just keep hanging out with people. You know, you keep hanging out with people who drag you off to do drugs or do nothing or just waste your life or or just annoy you all the time and just don't take you anywhere. Or you can raise your sights and say, I'm going to look at the people that are calling me to the Father. I want to look at the people that are calling me to the Bible, the Word of God. I want to look at the people. I'll bet you're sitting here this morning and, and, and you know somebody that they would just listen to you. If they would just come to church with you, if they would just come to Bible study with you, you know their life would get better. If they would just begin to do the things that are right in the Bible that you can see so clearly and that have changed your life and you're calling them and boy, I don't know how to make that happen because I've, I've failed with a lot of people. A lot of people that I've tried to call to this life haven't come. A lot of people have, thank God. It's kind of like the prodigal son. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. St. Augustine said it this way. Famous quote. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee.